started a new series in the book of Psalms, and we'll be going through until December 10th. And then after that, we're going to start the book of Luke. So for now, we are in a series that's all about drawing near to God, finding refuge in Him. And so we're going through seven different Psalms. So turn your Bibles to Psalm 30. We're going to read the entire Psalm. A Psalm of David, a song of the dedication of the temple. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up. And have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Let's pray. God, each and every one of us needs you, whether we're aware of that or not. God, each and every one of us here needs you to enable us to hear from you. I need you to enable me to speak and that you would speak through me. God, I, I, we all need to have our eyes of understanding enlightened, Lord. We need to be able to hear you. We need our hearts softened by you. God, I pray that you would do that this morning through your word and that you would empower me and all of us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you ever found yourself just going through the motions of life? Anybody ever find yourself just going through the motions of life? And, and, you, and you are just going through at times, you're, maybe even you're, you're going through the motions of Christianity. And you're just doing what needs to be done without giving it a whole lot of sustained, deep thought and... Maybe you're doing the right things. Maybe you are going to church, you're fulfilling your obligations, maybe you're, you're going to small group, maybe you're serving, you're trying to obey God, trying to do all the right things in life, but you're just kind of going through the motions. And sometimes when we're doing that, when, when we're living that way, it's easy to get to the place where we can forget God, we can forget where we've come from, we can forget what God has really done for us. And sometimes it's, it's easy to fall into the trap of living as if our life depends upon us and our efforts and, and whether or not we're in control and we can begin trusting in ourselves and we can begin subtly acting and thinking as if we're self-sufficient. You ever find yourself in any of those places? Anybody here ever find yourself there? I do far too often until something comes along and shakes things up and we realize that we truly need God, that, that we're lost, that we're trapped, that we're sunk in our sin because... Without him, it's really terrifying. 
And then when we have times like that, when we realize just how lost we are, it, it can be a means of actually God's grace to point us back to, to crying out to God for mercy. And then when we receive his mercy, it actually it works to increase our joy. Maybe today you're lacking joy. You're just going through the motions. Maybe you have subtly just kind of gotten into the groove of things and you've forgotten where you've come from, forgotten what God saved you from. You've forgotten the fact that without him we're completely lost. Or maybe you're here going through the motions of life and you just don't know that without God we're lost. David is the one who wrote this psalm and he knew what it meant to feel completely lost. He knew what it meant to feel alone, to feel destitute, to feel abandoned. And he also knew what it was like that after God had actually blessed him and brought him to the place where he was prosperous, David then became comfortable in his prosperity and he became comfortable in his ease and he slid into pride and self-sufficiency. And God did something that at first you think, why would God do this to his chosen king? God says he hid his face from David. And the result was David was dismayed. It had an effect on him. And he realized, I'm in a pit, I can't escape unless I have God's mercy. And so he cries out to God for mercy and and God heals him. And it results in, in the joy that we see in this psalm. And this psalm is an account of, of all of that in David's life. And it's an account of, of the fact that, that God is the one that is the reason why David can sing. That God is the one who brought David out of a pit. That, but yet, David in his pride forgot God. And so God turned his face away. God chastised him. He disciplined him because God wanted to mercifully draw him back to him. And so what the main idea that we see here is, is that we can give God what, what David is appealing to the people that he's writing to, to his fellow Israelites. He's appealing to the nation of Israel. And he's saying, give God grateful praise because without him, without his favor, we're sunk. Give God grateful praise because without his favor, we're sunk. He's writing with this intent because he, he knows how easy it is to slip into ingratitude, to slip into self-sufficiency. And so he's encouraging, he says, without, without, without God's favor, we're completely sunk. Give God praise now. But the problem is often we don't know we're sunk without God. Do you know that? Did you know that you're sunk without God? Did you know that you're completely lost? You're you're in a pit? Do you you grasp the extent to which you would be completely lost without God? David did. And that's what we're going to see in verses 1 through 3, is that David was aware of what God had done, and then grateful praise, it flowed from what God has done. And he's, he's reciting that in the first three verses. David is reciting what God has done, because that's where grateful praise flows from. Maybe you're lacking joy in your life right now. Maybe you're, you're just kind of going through the motions. The, the way to return to a place where, where we're joyful is to, to remember what God has really done. But all too often, we're, we can be more aware of, of all the problems in our life, the lack in our life, the difficulties in our life, the challenges in our life, and we can fail to have perspective and see what God has really done. But David, David in the psalm, he's drawing your attention back to what God's done. He says, I'll extol you, O God, because you've drawn me up. And that word drawn up, it's the same word that's used for drawing up out of a well. And, and that's intentional because David, he refers not only to drawing up, he says, you rescued me from a pit. I would go down to Sheol. That's where my life is. We don't know exactly when David wrote this psalm. The superscript says at the dedication of the temple, of course, David wasn't alive when the temple was dedicated. 
but the song was probably written and then used later at the dedication of the temple. Some scholars think that this was probably written when David was dedicating his palace because the word for temple actually can mean house. And so David, he's probably writing this psalm, if that's the case, in, in the context of what Chronicles 21 or, or 2 Samuel 5 tell us, and it gives us some background for the context of this psalm. David, he just built a house in, in 2 Samuel 5, it tells us, and, and Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messages to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons who built David a house. All these people, all these kings were giving him things to build his house. But here's what David knew. It says, and David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel, that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. David knew that anything that he accomplished was because God had done it through him. It was for God's sake, for the sake of God's kingdom, for the sake of his people Israel. And that's true for us. Any, any good that, that is in our lives, it's because God has done it. David knew that. He was acknowledging that. And he, what he says is, God, you drew me up. You drew me up. And he was determined to praise God because God had drawn him up. You know, a well is a place of deep darkness. It's a place where there's no handholds to climb out of. It's, it's a place where there's dark water at the bottom. It's, it's a picture of, of lostness and being in a hole. If you remember the story, the it was just the celebrated 30-year anniversary of the story of baby Jessica. It was 30 years ago, I think last week or two weeks ago. She was an 18-month-old, 18, 18 and, and she was visiting her aunt, and she fell down an 8-inch pipe, fell 22 feet down in the ground. She was lodged there for 58 and a half hours until she was able to be rescued and, and drawn out of the ground. And David is giving us that kind of that vivid picture of being drawn out. And as a result, just like it had a result on, on, on Jessica Morales, which is her name now, and she said, seeing the well for the first time as an adult, it was hard, but it wasn't upsetting, she told people. To me, it's a symbol that it could have taken my life, but it didn't. I had God on my side that day. And she says now that she wants to use the event and the spectacle to teach her kids to always be humble and grateful, never forget where they came from, not take life for granted. And that's what David is doing in this psalm. He is saying, you drew me up, God. You drew me out of the pit. You drew me from the depths of Sheol. And that's the condition that each and every one of us were in. We are dead in sin without God, without hope in this world. Maybe you don't yet know God and you're here today. And you're wondering, what's, what's the purpose in life? We were, we were created to be in relationship with God. We were created to, to have a relationship with him and we would worship God and be in, in a special fellowship with him. And yet our sin separated us from God. And without some way to be reconciled to God, we can't fulfill the very purpose that we were made for. We're lost. We're completely separate from him in darkness. And, and our, our destiny is the pit the pit of hell to be to go down to hell where we will be forever separated from God. And yet, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, what we know is that God's drawn you out. Because all who call on the name of the Lord, they, they call on the name of the Lord because God first calls them. And it's right for God's people to praise him because he's drawn us up. He's drawn us out. And yet we can often lose sight of what we have to praise God for, can't we? Because we can get so distracted by all of the things around us. 
But God, he says, you, you've drawn me up, and you haven't let my foes rejoice over me. They're, they're, not, they're not rejoicing that they have won. And, and David knows it's better to be in the hands of God than it is to be in the hands of his foes, because God alone is merciful. And, and if, if the building of David's house is the context, then where he built the house is the, the threshing floor of Orana, where the angel of the Lord stopped killing the Israelites because of David's sin, because David repented. And that's where he builds his house. He builds his house on the threshing floor. And David had taken a census of the people of Israel against what God had commanded. He, he was proud, and I think that's the context of the psalm, because he says, I was proud, and in my prosperity, I thought that, that I did it myself. And I said, God, you, you made my mountain stand strong. But he wasn't really crediting God. He, he was being self-sufficient and proud. And so he, we see in 2 Samuel, he conducts the census because he wants to take stock of what he's got and wants to take stock of, of how many potential soldiers he has and maybe how many people potentially he could tax because he's trusting in his own self. He's trusting in his own kingdom. And so God corrects him. And he sends a prophet to him. And in 2 Samuel 24, he says, Go and say to David, thus says the Lord, three things I offer you. Choose one of them that I might do it to you. And so Gad comes to him and he gives him three choices. He says, Shall three years of famine come to you in your land? Or you flee three months before your foes? Will they pursue you? Or there'll be three days pestilence in your land? Now consider and decide what answer I shall return to him who sent me. And then David said to Gad, I'm in great distress. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great, but let me not fall into the hand of man. And, and David did. He, he submitted to the hand of God. And, and the angel of the Lord came and began to, to kill the people of Israel. 70,000 people died in one day. And, and David was distraught. He saw that, and he repents. And he sees that, and he repents at the floor of Arana, on the, on the threshing floor, and... That's where the angel of the Lord stopped, only after a day, not three days, because his anger is just for a moment, for a day, and he relented because God's merciful, and that's what David is aware of, and we don't know what David's sickness is that he's talking about in this psalm. Maybe the sickness was the pestilence or the plague that came on the people of Israel, and it might have been so, and he says, oh, Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you've healed me. He cries out to God as a personal God. He's not a distant God. He says, God, I've cried out to you for help, and you are the one who's healed me. He makes a personal appeal to God. Back when I was an IT director, well, often the, the connections that, that I made, they would open up doors for business. They would open up ways for us to get help more quickly when needed. And I remember one time when um, the the server room where there's hundreds of file servers for this company, they supported the entire company and um, there, there came a time when the entire storage for it went down and uh, the, the technicians were panicky, I didn't know that and they'd gone on for several hours trying to get help, trying to get support, they called into the support line, they never got support, they tried escalating, that wasn't working. Finally they called me and they let me know, hey by the way, we're not gonna be able to be open for business tomorrow and so the first thing I did was I, I, I picked up the phone and I, and I called the owner of the storage company. Um, it, was a, it was a Fortune 500 company down in, in, in Silicon Valley. But, but because of connections that I made, I was able to, to call them and we got immediate results within, within an hour. We had techs out there and they fixed everything. 
I appeal to a higher authority. That's what David here is doing. He's not, he's not going to any lesser authority. He's going right to the headquarters of the universe itself, and he cries out and asks God for help personally, and then you and I, we can do the same. David wasn't looking for human answers. He didn't just need human help. He didn't need more power and more ability on his own. He immediately escalated. He knew who to call. He knew that God is the only one who could truly help us. God is the one who made us. He knows us. He knows the spirit, soul, mind, and body. He, he is the one who designed us. He's the only one who can help us. And so David writes that he cries out to God, and he, he cries out like a, like a little child. We know from Romans 10 that he says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. David experienced that personally. Now, in Jesus, all of us can experience that. question is, have you? Have you called out to the name of the Lord? Or if you're in a stuck place where you're stuck, are you calling out to him? Are you calling out to him, crying out to him to heal your spiritual blindness, your deadness, your deadness to sin, your brokenness? And sometimes when, when I am overwhelmed, I start, my wheels start spinning and I start looking to myself or trying to panicky Look for other people for answers instead of crying out to God. Where do you cry for help? You cry out to God? Do you cry out to other people? Do you look to yourself? Do you cry out to Him? In Him, as all who call in His name will experience the same kind of mercy that David did. David, David knew that he had much to praise God for. In verse 3, he goes in even more detail. He says, Lord, you brought up my soul from Sheol. That same imagery of drawing up. You brought up my soul from Sheol. You draw me out. You restored me to life from those who go down to the pit. He, was, he knew his destiny was the pit and the grave, and that's where he was stuck. He had no help in himself, and he, he knew that God was the one who, who has drawn him up. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, do, do you know that? Do you know that God has drawn you up from the pit? Do, do you meditate on that? Does it affect you? It's meant to result in the same kind of praise that we see here that compelled David to praise him. And then because of that, he's actually compelling other people to praise. And that's what we see in verses four to seven is that grateful praise is called for because of what God has done. He, he couldn't praise God enough. He meditated on where he had been and what God had drawn him out of. And it resulted in grateful praise. And then he's so joyful about what God has done not that his life is perfect, not that everything is figured out. David didn't have all the answers. They were still suffering. There was still hardship and difficulty, but he knew that the most important things in, in life had already been taken care of by God. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, you can know that the most important problems in your life have already been taken care of. Your sin, your deserving of God's wrath apart from Christ, your separation from God, all those things have been taken care of and now you've been brought in here, you've been drawn out. No longer living in the kingdom of darkness but now living in the kingdom of light. We have much to be grateful for. If you're, if you're taking a breath right now, you have much to be grateful for. We have the ability to breathe. We're sitting here. We have the ability to, to think, to hear, to speak. We have so much to be grateful for but so often I lose sight of what we have to be grateful for. Instead, I focus on all the things that need to be changed. And, you know, I think I'm, I think I'm wired just to look at things. I, I call, I'm not a pessimist. I say I'm a realist. 
But sometimes I realistically see, hey, I come in, and I'm like, hey, that's really good, but like, what about these six things that aren't so great? And, and I can then slide into ingratitude very easily. And what ingratitude is, is saying that, that God, you're not good enough, what you've done is not enough for me, what, what you've done is not sufficient, I need more in order to be happy in you, I need more I need to understand everything. I need everything figured out. I need to be no problems. I need everything to go my way in order, God, for me to be grateful. It's an indictment against God. And what it is is it's actually subtly a slide into idolatry. We want things our way. We want to figure things out. We want to understand. But grateful praise to God is called for because of what God has done. G.K. Chesterton said, I, I would maintain that, that the thanks are the highest form of thought and that gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. Are, are you amazed that God, God didn't kill you for your sin? Because that's amazing. That God's extended his grace to you, that, that God is, is patient with you, that his, his mercies are new every morning, that he calls you by name, that he wants to know you, wants to be in a relationship with you, the creative universe, wants to speak with you, wants to have a relationship with you, and that he draws you? Are you amazed that, that God sent his own son to die for you? Are you amazed that he would make you alive and new in him? David, David was amazed, and he knew that no good comes apart from God. Now, now things might not be what we want them to be. They, they, they likely will not be what we want them to be in this world. There is sickness. There will be death. There will be need. But let's not lose sight of what we had to be grateful for. Our life, our family, our, our friends, our church, and most of all, salvation. The fact that we're secure, no matter what happens in this life, we're secure to the end. David responded when he saw the angel of the Lord striking the people, and 2 Samuel 24 talks about his response in verse 17. He says, Behold, I've sinned, I've done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and my father's house. And then we see later on in verse 24, it says, And David built an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings, and so the Lord responded to the plea of the land. And the, and the plague was averted. Instead of three days plague, he experienced one. God's anger was for the day. And, and, and David knew that his mercy, though, is for a lifetime. God extends his mercy for a lifetime to all who seek his mercy, to all who come to him in repentance, to all who come to him in faith, all who cry out to him. And it's, it's not a complex prayer here. David said he cried out to God. He says, weeping might last for the night, but, but joy will come in the morning. And that, that word for weeping may last for the night, it's the same, same word that's used for lodging. Weeping might, it might come to stay with you in your house for a nighttime, but comparatively, there will be a joy that comes in the morning that will last forever for all who cry out to God in mercy. And all throughout the psalm, David highlights God's gracious mercy Verse five, he says, God, I, I, I'm aware I need your favor. And in, in verse seven, we see that he acknowledges this God's favor alone that makes his mountain stand strong. Basically, the place where David built his house on Mount Zion, it's, it's God's favor alone that makes him strong. 
These aren't just inspirational thoughts. You see, God's goodness is always greater. His mercy is always greater than our sin. And that's what David's come to know. If we keep our focus on God, nights are not forever. They will not be forever. We will have nights. There will be weeping. But in him, joy comes in the morning. In Christ, mourning gives way to a morning of new mercy. God is full of favor and grace to those who call out to him for mercy. David, in his prosperity, it, it went to his head. And he thought, I'm not, I'm not going to be moved. Prosperity is not a sign that we can take it easy, though, or that we can trust in ourselves. Martin Luther once said, he said, we're never in greater danger than in the sunshine of prosperity. If you're in a place where things are going really well right now, that's really good. But don't become complacent. It's tempting to think in those times that we don't need God. In back, back about 23 years ago, we helped plant a church in Vancouver, British Columbia. And when we went there, it was interesting because less than 2% of the population claims to be a Christian of some form. And, and probably half of that goes to church somewhere. And I don't know what percentage of that actually were really believers in Jesus Christ. And what we encountered was people just were very affluent. It's a very expensive place to live. People were affluent. It was a very nice place to live. They had everything around them. You have water. You got mountains. You could go skiing on the water in the daytime. And later on in the afternoon, you could go skiing at the top of a glacier. It's a great place to live. It's beautiful. But the problem is, in, in all the prosperity and being surrounded by beauty, it can make us feel like we don't need God. In this country, we can, we can think that we don't need God, really, that we're, we're just kind of coasting, just kind of going along. And Jesus actually said, it's harder for a rich man to come to the kingdom than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle because the rich person doesn't think they need God. And that's what it happened even to King David. A man after God's own heart was subtly tempted to be self-sufficient, self-secure, proud. I think a warning for us is to investigate our own lives. Is there any area where we're tempted to be self-sufficient or proud or self-secure? David says, in effect, that we need to learn from his mistakes. When, when David was like that, God turned his face away. Now, that's interesting terminology. God, God hid his face from David. This is the chosen one. This is God's king, and yet God's turning his face away from him because David deserved it. David had sinned. David was proud, and, and God's presence can bear no sin, so God turns his face away. If you're in a place of prosperity or strength, humble yourself, give thanks to God for his grace so that his face wouldn't be hidden from you. If you feel like God's face seems hidden, it's not the final word, and that's another thing we see from David is that wasn't the final word. There is Room still for mercy. His mercies are new every morning. David turns to God, he cries out to him. And because of Jesus, all who trust in him and in God's favor, God's face will be turned back. God's face will shine on us. I, I love, I, and you know this, I, I love reciting the blessing that Moses commanded Aaron to give to the people. 
I love reciting that blessing in Numbers and I'm gonna recite it again in Numbers. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. The blessing of the Lord that, that David would have been aware of is that God turns his face, that God sees us, that he sees us in our condition. He looks on us with favor. That's that picture of, of his face turning towards us is his face of grace, his face to look on us with a smile, paying attention, giving you his peace, his shalom. And so David knows without that, when God turns his face away, he says he's dismayed. He's terrified. Because without God's favor, if God doesn't look on us graciously and he looks on us in anger, that's absolutely terrifying. But we don't have to remain in that condition David tells us in verse eight, the case he makes to the Lord in the midst of that condition, he cries out to God for mercy. And, and we're gonna see that the grateful praise though is only possible because of God's gracious mercy. And so David, he makes an appeal to God. He says, Lord, I cry out to you. I plead for mercy. And then he goes on to say, what profit is my death? If I'm dead, I can't praise you. And if I'm, if I'm turned to dust, which eventually I will be if I die, there's no way I can tell of your faithfulness. There's an interesting little word there when it says, what profit is there in my death in verse nine? That word for death is, is literally the word blood. So he says, what profit is there in my blood? Because blood is a euphemism for life because life is in the blood. He says, what profit is there? What gain is there in my blood? And we're gonna see what gain there is in a minute. But what David's saying is, what, I won't be able to tell your faithfulness if I'm dead. And so he cries out to God for mercy. God, I, I, wanna, I wanna praise you, but I need your mercy in order to praise you. Don't kill me, Lord, Re redeem me. And he cries out to God, he says, hear, O Lord, be merciful to me, O Lord, be my helper. And, and really, that's the same cry that all who need God can cry out to God. Say, Lord, be merciful to me, be my helper. In Luke 18, Jesus told his disciples a parable. It was the parable of a Pharisee who was a religious leader. And in contrast, the other character was a tax collector who would have been seen as the worst kind of traitor. And he tells this parable and he, he shows us this contrast. And first he told us how this religious leader prayed out loud in Luke 18. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. This terrible person. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. What he's saying is, I've, I've got a lot of confidence in myself. I'm pretty good. Jesus gives a contrast in verse 13. He says, but the tax collector standing far off wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. In essence, same prayer that David's praying. Be merciful to me. And what, is, what does Jesus say? There's two kinds of responses, potentially. One is the response of self-justification, self-sufficiency in, in his ease and his prosperity. He says, I'm, I'm doing fine. I, I, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. I'm, I'm not like that guy. I'm not an extortioner. I'm not unjust. I'm not a... And then you have the response of the tax collector. He says, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And Jesus says, I'll tell you this, that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. 
it's not the one who trusts in himself. It's the one who cries out to God for mercy. He says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. That's what, that's what David did. But then he says, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And that's true for everybody here today too. That God exalts, he draws up, he lifts up all who call to him for mercy. We can cry out to God. We can be certain now of our future because God is merciful to us through Jesus. Verses 11 and 12, David writes of the results here. He says, grateful praise, it's a result of God transforming us. It's a result of God's transforming grace on your life. Look in verse 11, he says, you've turned for me my mourning to dancing. This is God transforming. He's transformed mourning into dancing. He's, he's transformed, he's, he's loosed my sackcloth, and by the way, a sackcloth was what they would wear, it was a really itchy kind of burlap kind of material that they would wear because it was uncomfortable, and it was a sign of penitence, it was a sign of, of they were submitting themselves, that they were wearing simple, uncomfortable clothes, and they were saying, God, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to repent. And he says, you've loosed my sackcloth, you've you set me free from that, so I don't have to live in shame. I don't have to live that way anymore. He says, you've clothed me with gladness. David celebrated that God is the one who, who turned his mourning into dancing. He had a perspective. It was based on the fact that God had drawn him up. He was aware of where he came from. He was aware of what God had done. And God gives us dancing. Not that we're free from troubles, You know, you can dance in the midst of your troubles. You can dance in the midst of your doubts. You can dance in the midst of uncertainty. Why? Because the the greatest needs you have are completely answered in Christ. Your future is completely secure in Christ. One day we will understand. One day there won't be troubles. But we've been freed from our mourning clothes now. And we've been given other clothes. He says, you clothe me with gladness. I love that imagery because it's the same kind of imagery when it talks about... God giving us righteous robes of Jesus. The gladness of knowing that we're righteous in him. God frees us from being defined by shame. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, you are no longer defined by shame or guilt or what other people think about you. You don't have to live trying to appease God. You don't have to live trying to make up for all of your flaws, weaknesses. You don't have to live for the approval of other people. Why? Because you've been set free from all that. And now we can have joy that comes with being clothed in Christ. And he says, the whole reason God did this is so that you might sing to him and not be silent. He says, that, my, my glory, that all that I am, I sing your praise and not be silent. He says, God, I'm going to give thanks to you forever. The primary reason why God transformed David was so that David actually could be transformed back to how he was supposed to be at the very beginning. God, God created man to worship him. Our, our chief purpose is to, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we can't do that when we're separated from God. And so God, God redeems us, he rescues us so that we might worship him face to face again. And that, that restoration, that transformation, it is grounds for the greatest Joy, because we know that, that now we can see God's face. We have his favor, and one day we'll see him face to face. 
And David says, you know what? Now that that's true, my main vocation is praising God. Christians, you know that's your main vocation? We're meant to be people of gratitude who are continually praising God. Not that we're pretending, but we're aware of what's most important. He was determined to thank God forever. You know, the palace of David is no longer, by the way. His, his palace is no longer. You can go and see the ruins in Jerusalem. But, but God has built a better house. He has built his own temple. And it, and it says that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the house of God, the ultimate fulfillment of the temple. He's the embodiment of God himself in person. And, and Jesus, he, he told his disciples, he says that this temple will be destroyed, but in three days I'm going to raise it back up again. He was talking about his own body. Because he is the way, the means by which we come to worship God. And as we come to worship through Jesus, we have much reason for praise. Because all who trust in Jesus, all who cry out to him, you've been made alive in God. So much so that we're in Christ and we're now being built into him. And so now we are called the temple of God, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit of God a cause for rejoicing, a cause for song. In God's house, his temple is made up of all who trust in him. Some, some can feel abandoned. We're down in a pit right now. Uh, you might feel like nobody knows your troubles. You might feel like you're completely lost, but, but God responds to all who call on his name. God lifts up. He gives hope. His face shines now on all who hope in him. In just a few minutes, we're gonna, we're gonna take communion together. I mean, if the ushers could go ahead and actually begin to pass out the elements. If you have put your faith in Jesus, we'd welcome you to join us today. If you've not yet done that, you're not sure, go ahead and let that pass. And you can just observe and as we celebrate really what, what God has done by receiving communion together. If you're wondering how in the world does Psalm 30 relate to communion? David appealed to God for mercy, and he says, what, what profit is there in my death? He says, what profit in, is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? God didn't allow David to die at that moment, at least. God raised him up. Well, David eventually died physically, but, but God did allow the ultimate Messiah, the ultimate chosen king to die. And, and where David, he asked rhetorically, God, what, what profit is there in my death? There is all profit for us in the death of Jesus. Because God allowed Jesus, his blood, to be spilled for us. Because he allowed him to go down to death. Because he purposed for him to go down to death. Because he sent his son to go down to death. Jesus took our place for all mankind, all who would trust in him. He took the place of all mankind. So if we trust in him, we believe in him, we put our hope in his life for us and his death for us, oh, we can say there's great profit in his death. There's great profit in his death. David asked, what will my death tell of, of your faithfulness? Do you know Jesus' death tells of Christ, of God's faithfulness, God's faithfulness to love us, to pursue us so much that he would send his son to die 
and be faithful to the bitter end. Christ's death was profitable for us because he was faithful to the end in our place. He went down to the pit for us. The Father turned his face away from Jesus on the cross. David was dismayed when God turns his face away, but Jesus, the Son of God, had no reason for God to turn his face away. He was perfect and sinless, and yet he bore all of our sins. It says he himself became sin for us on the cross. And so the Father turns his face away and faced the ultimate terror of being separated by God into death. And Jesus did that so that God's face would be turned to us, that all who trust in him can receive God's favor now. The same can be true of David as can be true of us is God's favor is on us because we cry out to him for mercy. In Christ, joy has the last laugh because he conquered the grave. And and through him, we will too. And that's what we want to remember today. We want to take the bread, this piece of gluten-free bread in front of you, and we want to remember that it's not our merit that makes us stand strong. It's not our ability. It's not our prosperity. It's not what we've done. It's not saying, look, I tithe, I, I give to the poor. I'm not like these bad people. We don't put our hope in those things. We put our hope in the fact that Jesus, the perfect one, lived a perfect life for us and that he died in our place, taking the death that we deserve. His blood was spilled for us and he, his life was given for us. So let's eat this bread. And as we do, let's be filled with thanksgiving. And let us respond in praise. Let's take it together. At his last supper, Jesus, he held up the cup and he said, in this cup is the new covenant of my blood. That's based on on Jesus' death that's of utmost profit for us. And and as we drink this together, I, I want us to reflect on the fact that Jesus poured his blood out for us so that our blood would not have to be shed so we won't have to pay forever, that, that now we can live with him forever. And let his blood remind you that he's washed away all of your sins. So by faith, let's drink the juice together. Let's pray. God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you, your anger lasts for a moment, but your, your mercy is for a lifetime. That you shower with mercy all who cry out to you. Thank you, God, that you can turn your face towards us because your face was turned away from Christ. We put our hope in that fact. Thank you, Jesus, that you came, you lived, you died for us. You were faithful to the end, that your death was profitable, that you have been now resurrected to new life. And now, Jesus, you are no longer a man of sorrows. You are the king of all joy. And that there's joy in you. God, I pray for each and every one of us that you would enable us to dance before you with joy. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.